We are in, like Corey said, part three of our uh, series through the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah being a prophet and it being the longest book in the entire Bible. Uh, when you look at word count, I know it's like, wait, the book of Psalms, isn't that the longest? Well, it has 150 chapters, but some of them are really short. Uh, Jeremiah has more words than any other book of the Bible, making it the longest book of the Bible. It, but it's also one of those books that when you're reading through it, it can be kind of difficult to understand. And not just difficult to understand, because we're separated by cultures across continents, across you know, space and time, uh, but, but be difficult to understand because it's dealing with stuff that we just might not necessarily feel like makes a ton of sense to us today. However, with some simple tools and with a little bit of understanding, we can take some time and discover what God has in store for us through that. There's a reason why it's scripture, right? Like there's a reason why this thing has uh, stayed in existence for over 2,500 years. Like that, that doesn't just happen to normal documents. That only happens if it has something to say to all people for a long period of time. And so it's valuable to look into this, not just as a significant piece of literature, which it certainly is. It has some of the most profound poetry you're going to find anywhere, but because of the impact that it has had over time. One of the things that I know uh, about the book of Jeremiah, and especially with what we're going to talk about today as we talk about God, is that God is a God who wants to give us what we want. God is a God who wants to give us what we want. So the question that you often get asked is, what do you want? So, what do you want? World peace. peace. Nobody said a shorter sermon or a different pastor, which I am very grateful for. Uh, World peace, yes, you know, the beauty pageant answer. Uh, What is it that you want? And when you think about that, you think about that question, oh, that's a big one, right? So like, think about this, like when you sit down, you got your communion cup, if you were gonna do this at at the end of service today, if you didn't grab one, feel free at some point to grab one. Um, Let's just pretend that a genie comes out of your communion cup, all right? That's not going to happen. It's not biblical. I'm not saying this is how it works. But let's just pretend. And the genie says, I will give you whatever it is that you want. What would you say to the genie? Hmm. Oxygen. That's a good thing, especially when you're on an oxygen machine. Greater fellowship, yeah. Yeah. And we, we can think through a lot of, like, there's a lot of good answers in Jesus. That's always the good churchy answer. And I'm thankful that, you know, we didn't just go for the easy one there. But we often think, what is it that we want? And, and if you were given that question, what your answer is, is really important. In fact, uh, just like Barb talked about uh, with oxygen, one of the things that we find Jesus doing, Jesus goes around and he talks to a lot of different people. And his question is continually, what do you want? Like when he's calling his disciples, he asks them, what do you want? What are you after here? Because if you're after the same things that I'm after, then this is going to work out really well. If you want me, if you want God, this is going to work out really well. But if, you, if you're after this other stuff, fame, riches, who knows? If you're after this other stuff, you're going you're gonna to struggle a lot. And Jesus goes up to a blind man, which, you know, as Jesus might go up to you, he he says, he asks the blind man, what do you want? And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that one out, right? The blind man wants to see. Jesus knows that. Of course he does. But he still asks him. 
because it's important that you're able to vocalize and think through, well, what is it that I truly, like, what is the core desire of my heart? And when you ask that question of, hey, if the genie pops up and asks you that question, I wonder how many of us have to sit and wonder, really, what is it that I want? And then out of that, how many of us are living our lives in a way that we're moving, the wind is blowing one way or the other, but we're not sure entirely where we're going. What is it we're pursuing? What is it we're going after? And what we find is we find God continually, continually, continually inviting us back and saying, hey, I'll give you what you want. I'll give you what you want. If you want the right things, you're gonna love this. This is gonna be an amazing life. It's gonna be the best possible life. If you want all this other stuff, well, things are gonna get difficult. This is not gonna be so easy. It's not gonna be so straightforward. So what we have as we get through the stories, we have this nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel does not know what it wants. It doesn't know what it wants. It wants power and prestige on one hand, but it also has this Yahweh God on the other hand. And so it says, well, Yahweh has been good, but I see, all, I see what Baal is doing for his people. Like, they're powerful and they're strong. What if we like had Yahweh and this other God? And what if we were able to have a guarantee of a legacy through the worship of the goddess of fertility, Asherah? And so the, the people get found worshiping goddesses of fertility on the hilltops. And I'm not going to describe to you what the practices or what the things were that they worshiped there because they're pretty rated R. They're very HBO in that way. And if you want to read the first few chapters of Jeremiah, you're going to find some stuff that's going to be pretty off-putting. But as, as you see that, they're making this decision of, do I want to be like everybody else? Do I want to pursue the things and value the things that other people value? Or do I want to go down the path that Yahweh, that God has set before us? And Jeremiah gets dropped into this, this moment where people have made their decisions. And, and that's what's kind of difficult when you read through Jeremiah and you're asking questions about, what kind of God is this? Which is a great question to ask. But as, as you get dropped into the story, you're not dropped into a neutral situation. You're dropped into a story where things have been going south for hundreds of years. Things have been a struggle. We talked about this last week. You got the uh, prophet Josiah, or, uh, King Josiah, and he's, he's made king really young. And as he grows up, he says, I don't, I don't want to be like my dad who reigned for two years before he was assassinated. I don't want to be like my grandpa, uh, Manasseh, who led us down the wrong path entirely. I don't even want to like set out Hezekiah, who we talked about last week, as somebody to look up to. I want to be like King David, the best of the best kings. That's who I want to be like. I want to be a man after God's own heart. And so he goes to the prophetess Holda and he says, hey, we found this book, this, this scroll, which is the book of Deuteronomy that kind of lays over the book of Jeremiah. It's always in the shadows. It's always right behind what's being said. Uh, I'm... I, I want us to live this out. I want us to do something, but it has all of these condemnations in it. And hold us, she says to him, you're right, it has all these condemnations. That's what you are going to receive. Not you necessarily, Josiah. You're going to be buried in peace, which he was. But the nation is going to suffer the consequences for the choices it has made. And so what you're seeing is not a God who's just saying, oh, you made a bad choice, you're condemned. You're seeing a God who is working with people who for hundreds of years have been making poor choices. And at this point in the story, there's really no going back. And Jeremiah is given this message. He's given this message to tell the people that, hey, you guys are like animals wandering around in the, in the 
wilderness in heat, wanting something to mate with. And I'm going to doll up the language a little bit. If you read, some of you told me you started reading Jeremiah uh, the last week or two. And I kind of giggle inside a little bit because there's parts of the Bible you're not supposed to read until you're about 40 years old. And, and this is one of those parts uh, because it's, again, it's rated R kind of stuff. He, he says, you're like these wild animals going around in heat, finding anything with two to four legs and just having at it with it. That's not how this should be. That's not what this is like. Now, if you are a priest and you hear this guy Jeremiah saying this stuff, to you, how happy are you getting about that? We all know prophets call out. They're confrontational. You know, we, we've seen, as we'll see even today, that his, his, his mission is to uh, uproot and to overthrow, to destroy this thing. Of course, it's build and to plant as well, but you start with the negative there. You have to kind of tear things up to start with. So the priests do not like Jeremiah at all. They don't like him even a little bit because he keeps saying all of these things that they don't like. But Jeremiah knows that he is bound to say the things God has told him. We read this last week in Jeremiah chapter one. Uh, Here's what God says to Jeremiah. He says, you wanna be my prophet? Okay, you must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. And when you read the words that, that he says, you think, oh man, that's, got, that's a brutal job. Jeremiah has a brutal job to be a truth teller. You don't make many friends when you're a truth teller at all times. But what he can know is that he's called by God to do so. And so even if it doesn't result in friends, even if it doesn't result in success by a whole lot of the world's standards, He's going to be successful in the standards and the eyes of the one that called him into this vocation. And so, he continues to speak God's truth. And here's what he says. Here's God's assessment of how things have gone up to this point. We're going to be in uh, Jeremiah chapter 11. He says this, They, that's all of Israel and Judah, it's northern and southern kingdoms, they have returned to, their sins, to the sins of the ancestors who refused to listen to my words, They've followed other gods to serve them, both Israel and Judah. Again, Israel being the northern kingdom that just got completely wiped out, lost to history. It's gone at this point. The Assyrian Empire that was taken over by the Babylonian Empire is like what's just right on top of them. Like geographically, they're literally north of them. They're, uh, and they're taking over all of these towns and all of this stuff. So Judah, where Jerusalem is, where Josiah the king is, where uh, uh, Jeremiah is nearby, they, they're the ones that are feeling this pressure. So both Israel and Judah have broken the covenant I have made with their ancestors going back centuries to what God, uh, this is going back centuries, to what God has made. So again, we talk about Deuteronomy. God made this covenant, this promise with with the people in Deuteronomy. He says, hey, you stick with me, I stick with you. Which is one way of kind of saying what Jesus says, hey, abide in me and I will abide in you. You find your rest in me, you find your peace in me, this is going to work out. Don't do that and then, well, there's, There's consequences when you don't go about that. So uh, he's broken the covenant, the Israel has broken the covenant uh, that God made with their ancestors. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. This is like when you are a kid, if you're old enough like I am, where uh, 
you know, we had that analog childhood. They would give you the report card to take home to your parents, right? And when you get the report card, if you were like me, you weren't impressed by it. And you knew mom and dad were going to be uh, rather upset, let's just say, by what they see on this thing. And when you get that report card, you, you start going through it. Oh my gosh, seriously? Okay, and then you start rationalizing. Maybe they won't see it the same way I see it. Maybe they'll think that it's actually a good thing. Like there's some improvement here, right? Uh, but then you start rationalizing. Oh, well, surely there's a reason why. And mom and dad will understand. Or, oh no, you know, the despair you feel, this is gonna be really bad. Like this is going downhill real quick. This is God giving him the report card. Him saying, here is the grade. It's fail, first and foremost. And because it's fail, here's what you get as a result. Now keep in mind as we go through this, uh, the Old Testament, often when they're talking about idolatry, when they're talking about all these other things uh, that, that sound so foreign to us on one hand, what they're talking about is really valuing the wrong things. Again, people run off and they worship the God of power. Why? Because they don't perceive Yahweh, their God, to be a powerful God, at least not in the same way that Baal is. See, Baal, he only cares about power. Yahweh cares about power, but he cares about like a lot of other stuff too. So let's just go to the one who has one job. Hey, Baal, you're a powerful God. I see you're the God of all these people that are just kicking butt. Why don't you help us out now? You get that? They're trusting the wrong thing. Same thing with Asherah, same thing with any of these gods that kind of move into this stuff. So uh, as they're living with the realities of being people who are not trusting the right things, Jeremiah says this, he says, the towns of Judah and the people of Jerusalem will go out, will go and cry out to the gods of whom they, to whom they burn incense. But they, those gods will not help them when the disaster strikes, when the invasion comes, when the Babylonians come in. Pray all you want to Baal. Pray all, do whatever you want to Asherah. It does not matter. It's like talking to your phone. I guess you can talk to your phone. So maybe let's change this. It's like talking to, I don't know, your TV, which you can talk to that too. Uh, anybody got a talking couch? Is that a thing? It's like talking to your couch. It's not gonna do much for you, right? You can pray to your couch. You can do, it's just not gonna get you there. You can pray to Asher. You can pray to, they're false gods. They're not gonna take you where you want. And the only reason you adopted them in the first place is because you got lazy with Yahweh, because you got tired of Yahweh, because he doesn't make you the promises that, hey, if you follow me, I'll make you the most powerful military in the world. You don't see that happening in the Bible. You don't see God saying, hey, if you worship me, I will make sure that everybody is happy all the time. He doesn't say that. God does make promises. He does have covenants, but he does not promise us a, you know, suffering-free life. And so when they're faced with these challenges, rather than trusting Yahweh and trusting that God is at work in whatever is happening in their life, they turn and they say, well, surely there's somebody who can, some other authority than I can appeal to in this state. And I think each of us in some way have experienced that too. You pray to somebody, pray to somebody, pray to something. Oh, maybe just like the fates will figure it out. I don't know. But I often feel like what they're dealing with is kind of like an addict in the sense that they have a problem and the problem that they're trying to solve, they go about trying to solve it by doing more of the problem, right? 
substance abuse might be the cause of, and perceived solution to all of your problems. You know, a lot of people think that if we use evil, we can defeat evil. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. But it seems like, especially when you look at how the world seems to operate, it seems like, man, if we have to do evil in order to defeat evil, then that's it. God doesn't say that that's how you operate. That's not, no, 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 no. Don't worship the God of Baal. Don't worship all these other things. Keep your eyes focused on the one true God. But God lets them. He lets this whole thing devolve. He lets this whole thing kind of go about and happen because God, at the end of the day, wants their hearts. He wants what they have in here. He's not just after their actions. Yes, but he knows that the actions follow the heart. And so the only way that the nation is going to understand how to get through this is if they face the consequences for their years upon years upon years of just outright disobedience, of outright not caring. And I just want you to think about that. A lot of times we have a God who lets us suffer the consequences of our own actions. Why would God let something like this happen to me? Well, I don't know. That's a good question. Let's ask. Let's dig into that. What led to this? Sometimes we find that God does bail us out. Praise God when that happens. Amen? But we often know that God does not just always pull us up and rescue us immediately out of things. A lot of times he says, you dealing with this has a better op- leaves you with a better opportunity to grow and succeed than it would be if I just pulled you out. So I want you to face this. That's exactly what he does with the nation of Israel. So, Jeremiah goes, and he tells the people this. Hey, guys, it's coming. Ain't nothing you can do. It's coming. And the priests in his hometown, he lives in Anatoth nearby. Uh, uh, it's a town of priests. They don't like him one bit, of course, because, again, he's going against their gods. And why would he go against their gods when, you know, their gods are the ones that can protect them? Yahweh's over there, sure, but like Baal and all this other stuff. And so they conspire to kill Jeremiah. Here's what Jeremiah writes. He says, because the Lord revealed their plot to me. So he's writing, God revealed this plot that for them to try to kill me. I knew it, and for, for a time, they showed, he showed me what they were doing. I'd been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. People are out to kill Jeremiah for his message. This isn't like, hey, Rick in accounting really doesn't like you. No, this is like, hey, Rick in accounting has been sharpening his company pens and stabbing pictures of you, right? Like, you might want to go talk to HR about this guy that is out to kill you. In this situation, Jeremiah is dealing with people who are actually out to do him harm. They want to do bad things. So he continues on, he says, I did not realize that they had plotted against me saying, let us destroy the tree and its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living that his name be remembered no more. You might think, well, why would they, why would they not like it? He's just trying to institute the worship of the one true God, Yahweh. And they would look at you and they say, yeah, how absurd is that? Like the one true God, when we know that these other gods are the ones that are really in control. And really what they're facing with, what the priests are dealing with is this resentment toward Jeremiah. And if you know anything about the prophets, then you know that the prophets often mimic God, 
They often fill the role of God, and so how the prophet is being treated is often how God is being treated. We see this a lot, specifically in Hosea. We see, we see this happen time and again of how the prophets are living out their message. And so Jeremiah is being threatened, and in the way that he's being threatened is because, why? Because they resent him. And they don't just resent Jeremiah, they resent God. Because they want to have things on their own terms. They want to have the way that the world works by Babylonian means be the way that they operate too. And they completely abandoned this idea that God said, if you stay near to me, I will stay near to you. And as we see most clearly in Jesus, this God who is not just a God who loves us, this is a God who's willing to be sacrificed for you and me. And we see constantly God trying to draw people back to him. And this is who God is from the beginning. We see Jesus, we, and we should read the Bible backwards in this way, of understanding Jesus and the love that Jesus has for us and what Jesus is willing to do to us. And we read that into Jeremiah and say that is who God is and that's who people are rejecting. Why would they reject that kind of a God? Quite simply because they have their own way. They can, they can say that they want their, uh, they, they can say they want their God's will to be done all they want, but really in reality, they, they want their own will to be done. It's not thy will, it's my will. And Jeremiah's facing off against this, and I don't know how you deal with this other than stay true to the calling that you have. And so that's what Jeremiah does. See, the priests, they think that they're right so they think that they're justified, they're standing up for the right things by killing Jeremiah. They're not, they don't want to try to kill Jeremiah because they just don't like him. They think that it is the morally correct thing to do, which again, using evil to draw out evil is a tool of the devil, right? It's a tool of Satan. It is, it is very anti-God, and as we can say today, it is very anti-Christ to use evil to drive out evil, yet that's exactly what they're trying to do. Perhaps if we kill Jeremiah, we could save our nation, they would eventually say. And we see Jeremiah just weeping and struggling as he's going through this. And again, he is this God figure in this story. And what we find is a God in the Jeremiah who is not stoic, who does not just sit back passively, but rather we find a God who is intimately involved in every single moment, every single decision. Does God always get his way? Obviously not. God does not want things to come to this. But God is also willing to let us have what we want. If you really want that kind of stuff, go for it. I will let you go for that. And if it works out for you, then hey, but here's what I know and here's what God knows. God knows how he made you and God knows what he created you for and he knows for a fact that a lot of these other things that you're chasing down are not going to work out. It's not going to give you the thing that you want. When you ask that question, what do you want? There's an answer there that I want you to have. The answer is whatever God wants. Whatever God wants. And it's gonna look like peace. It's gonna look like more love in this world, more joy in this world. It's gonna look like Jesus is what it's gonna look like. He wants that for you, he wants that for me. 
But notice God doesn't just say, this is what I want, therefore I'm gonna just stamp it onto every single human and force everybody into some cookie mold of how you live in this world. No, no, no. He honors you and he honors me and he says, I want you to want that. Then I'm willing to work with you and show you how you can get there. And here's what I know in a room like this, watching online as well, that that's gonna look different for every single person in this room, right? Your background, your experiences, where you come from, and what God has done in your life up to this point is different than what God has done in mine, what God has done to the person next to you. But God still wants you to go down that path. He wants you to want his things, his one thing. And you see this from God's perspective. This is what it's like to be God. It's what it's like to be God is, well, to want one thing for your people, to will one thing, and to get back many, lots of different things. God says, no, 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 one thing. Do you want a good life? What do you want? A tame and domesticated life, an easy life, comforts everywhere. Maybe you look at your life and you say, man, I want to just be young again. I want to, I want to be vibrant. I want to go out. And so you, you started watching the TikToks and you learned what a Cardi B was, uh, which is not an endorsement. Uh, you, you've gone through all this stuff to try to make yourself younger and you know, doll yourself up one way or the other. And Okay. What, what is it that you want? Can you achieve it even? Out of all the people that we know that have pursued all their things, their big one ideas in life, how many of them have actually gotten to the point of peace where the thing that they found, the thing that brought them that sense of fulfillment was not God? I know of a lot of people that have tried. I know a lot of people that might even be close. But I know how God made us, and he says that, if, that he wants us to have one thing. Here's what we get from Jeremiah. Obedience will always cost you something. Obedience will always cost you something. That could be obedience to something good. That could be obedience to something bad. It will always cost you something. And so when you're making a decision in life, you have to ask that question, what is this going to cost me? Does this take me in the direction that I want to go in? That's a good question. Well, this might not take me in the direction I want to go in right now, but it could later on, perhaps. Okay, is it good? Is it bad? Is it somewhere in that gray middle area, which is pretty large? What is it that you want? What is it that you're after? Obedience will cost you something. And this is true in the life of Jeremiah. Obedience to doing what God has told him to do will cost him friends, it might even cost him his life. It certainly cost him his comfort. This isn't the thing that he wanted to do. But what he, what he goes to these people and he tells them to do is that he's quite simply living it out and saying, this is where God wants us to go. This is how God wants us to live. And when he runs into the resistance, he is tempted to just give up. In fact, here's, here's what happens. He gets fed up with this stuff. That's in Jeremiah 11, and he's just done with it. And so in, in Jeremiah chapter 12, here's what he says. He says, why does the way of the wicked prosper? That's a good question. You ever wondered that? Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You might have made a decision in your business dealings at some point that you said, you know what, the expedient thing to do, the profitable thing to do is over here, and I know that it's wrong. 
I'm gonna be a man, I'm gonna be a woman of integrity, I'm gonna make this decision here because this is what I can uh, go to sleep at night knowing the choice that I've made. You might have made that choice and then you might have watched somebody else make that other choice and that person get celebrated and, and uh, held up as somebody who's successful in life. And in that situation, you are blessed by God. You're not successful in the world's terms. Who cares? Success in the world's terms, what is that, money? I mean, that's nice and all, but that's not what God has called us to. God's called us to faithfulness and integrity, and integrity often does not pay off. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. If our church was filled with a bunch of people who could have made a lot more money, awesome. That's great. Because then what we can do with what God has given us is show people the real way that isn't filled with greed. Jeremiah continues on. You've planted them and they've taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You're always on their lips. Here's that last line though. But far from their hearts. These are priests. These are people that are supposed to get it more than anybody else. They say all the right stuff and you look at them and you say, man, this is, this is a, a pillar of success. But they're missing out on the real thing. Why do you do it? Why does it seem like the bad people keep getting celebrated? How long is this going to last? How long are they gonna be allowed to threaten me as they go off and do their own thing? If you've ever wondered this about God, then good. You're there with Jeremiah. You can feel what he's feeling. And then something amazing happens. After he says this, God replies. If you have raced with men on foot and they've worn you out, how can you compete with the horses? You went to battle with all the infantry and you fought and you're tired and you're done. You said that you wanted to ride with the cal uh, cavalry. Well, you're, you're in the big leagues now, dude. You're not running around with the toddlers. You want to run with the horses? Great. I'll show you how to run with the horses. I'll show you how to do things that you could never dream of doing. But you're over here whining after you're playing with the men. Come on. Get up. Get off of your butt and get to work here. Like, I understand you're feeling tired. I understand you're asking good questions. That's awesome. We'll work through all of that. But what I, here's what I love about this. God implies in there that Jeremiah can run with the horses, which is absurd. If you've ever been around horses, which in Scottsdale you probably have, right? They're pretty fast. And if you put a horse up against any human, even Usain Bolt and all that, they, you know which one's gonna win. It's not even gonna be close. And God says, you want to run with the horses? Excellent. I'll put you right there and you will be able to keep pace. But first, it starts with obedience. First, it starts with me. You're feeling broken down. You feel like you can't go anymore. Keep going. Your job is to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, and to overthrow. This is your calling, Jeremiah. That is going to be hard work. What did you think you were getting yourself into? So he says, get to work. Keep going. Keep going with all of this. And what's implied here is just awesome about how he calls us to live our life. And so he says, what do you want? Do you want to run with the horses? Do you want to give to be the deliverer of my message? If so, as you have said, if so, Jeremiah, then you need to keep going. Then you bust through this. 
You're not in the little leagues anymore. My son just started playing baseball, and uh, he actually hits the ball, which is really cool. Uh, the coach throws it right now, and you know we're stuff yesterday, and you know last few at bats, first pitch, just ding right off the the bell of the bat, and runs to first base, and just awesome to watch him go. Uh, he didn't do this, but I just imagine it would be like him coming home and saying, "Dad, I'm ready to face Clayton Kershaw. I'm ready to go." Like, uh, who's the Sandy Koufax? Nobody. I got him. I'll, na- I'll hit. The- I'll drill the first pitch right over the fence. Nolan Ryan. Who? Nope. No chance. I got him. Like my little seven. I just imagine my seven-year-old boy coming home and saying that stuff, which I'd be very proud if he knew some of the baseball history stuff. But, uh, but if you, if you can't, it. Now, here's what I would love, too. I'd love to put him in the batter's box just to watch one of those pitches come through, right? That sucker's humming. It doesn't look like your uh, little coach pitch thing. This is real ball here. And in the same way, a lot of times what we do as we're living life is we say, God, give us what you want me to have. And then God gives you what he wants you to have. And you say, but hold on. I don't like that. That was too much. That was too fast. And God says, do you want to run with the horses? Do you want what I want for you? If you want what I want for you, then stay here. Stay faithful. Stand true when people stand up against you. Stay strong when you're tempted to abandon your values, your integrity, the very things that I say are the most important. Stand up for that. And when you stand up for that, I don't care. God does not care whether or not people celebrate you, whether or not people recognize you. That is not the measure of success. The measure of success is faithfulness to God. And so for us, when we look at our lives, we don't say, wow, I got X number of dollars or I have this many cars or I have, you know, even a family who loves me. There's perfectly good reason to have all of that stuff, all right? That is not the measure of success. The measure of success is whether or not you are faithful to God in the big things and the little things. And so he goes to the priest. Jeremiah says, you guys have learned the names Baal. You've learned the names Asherah. You need to go back and start again. There's a name that is greater than every other name. His name is Yahweh. You need to worship him. Those other gods will get you nowhere. They will get you nothing. Those priests that he was with were celebrated. In fact, everybody loved them. They thought they were doing a great job. Uh, Jeremiah didn't have anybody on his side. And so Jeremiah says, you need to go back, you need to relearn this God's name because you guys have been philanderers like mules in the desert, as he says. Uh, And and when God says stuff like that, as you read the Bible, Ezekiel has a lot of that language. Song of Solomon has it in a kind of differently charged way. Uh, But there's a lot of language like that in the Bible. And one of the things I love about that is that the Bible's not tame. It's not a tame book. It's not chicken soup for the soul, right? You're not gonna pick it up and be like, ah, now I have the daily inspiration I need. Maybe, there's parts. But there's a lot in there that you're just gonna be scratching your head wondering, why in the world? What's this about? And that's good. Ask those questions. Dive into that stuff. The Bible's not a tame book because it wasn't put together to honor and worship a tame God. That's not who we worship when we gather together. We worship the one true God who is not a tame God and he asks us, what is it that we want? And then he allows us to pursue it. And he does not always protect us from the consequences of that. So, what is it that you want? My hope for you 
in your life, and everybody's, it's going to be some variation of something here, right? My hope is that you look and you pray and you say, this is where God has led me. This is what God is asking of me. I want what God wants of me today. But that's a hard one. Because like we see with prophets, that often calls you out. God challenges us, doesn't he? But whenever he does that, he also invites us in. Because what we find in him is a better life than we were promised by anything else. So my hope is that we can develop mercy toward one another, patience with that coworker, grace toward our family, and that in all things, Christ's love can be put on display for us. Because if you want these things, here's what I guarantee you, God will give them to you. If that is what you want, you will get it. There are some prayers that God always, always, always answers. That's what we trust when we gather together. We remember that and we trust that. In fact, we're gonna kind of do something a little bit different. We do this every once in a while, but haven't for a while here. We're gonna just take some time to pray. And I don't know where you're at. If you're part of the church, not part of the church, Christian, non-Christian, if you're just whatever, that's fine. You can either just pretend that this is nothing and just be quiet and protect, you know, turn on your little meditation app or something. Or for, for those of us that do trust and believe in what God's doing, we're going to take this as an opportunity to allow God to speak to us. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask some questions. And I just want you to get comfortable. You can put your feet down on the ground, flat, you know, get in a position where you can just really, really rest. Try not to fall asleep. Uh, it's okay if you do because you know, God's in that too. But as I ask these questions, I want you to be honest with yourself as we prepare our own hearts to receive communion. Here's a question. Do I want to see others through the eyes of Christ's love? Ask yourself that question. Do I want to see others through the eyes of Christ's love? Extend yourself the grace that God gives you. If you're like me, then you feel like a failure when you do these things, and that's okay. God loves you. God's working on you. Have I been trusting God with my life? Have I been trusting God with my life? Am I available for God to speak to, or am I too busy? Is there any sin I need to acknowledge and request forgiveness for? That is a prayer that God will always answer yes to. You ask for forgiveness, God always, in fact, he already answered yes before he even committed it. He answered that on the cross. I'm gonna pray as we conclude this element, and Brad's gonna come up and lead us through taking communion. Father, we come to you not as people who have figured it out, not as people who want everything perfectly, but rather we, we come to you as people who have failed 
as people who've made the wrong decisions at times, as maybe even people who are in the midst of making the wrong decisions right now. And Lord, we know that you are the one that's in charge. We are trusting you to show us a way out. Not a way that we escape our consequences, not a way that we escape any of this stuff, but rather that you show us that life on the other side of this all is better. Show us how to trust in you, to have faith in you today. It's in the name of Jesus we ask this. Amen.